A Jew and a non-Jew fall in love and decide to marry. They agree to create a Jewish home and, of so blessed, raise their children as Jews. The non-Jewish partner has also fallen in love with Jewish customs and traditions. So before they marry, that partner goes to a rabbi and asks to convert. What happens next? I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Conversion is a critical issue in today's Jewish community. With our declining birth rate, aging population, and the high frequency of interfaith marriage, it is more important than ever that we find and welcome people who are open and willing to convert. Conversion here is defined as a man or woman, not currently Jewish, who chooses to become a Jew through a formal, ritualistic process that has existed virtually unchanged for over 2,000 years. But before we talk about the process of conversion, we should talk about the reasons for conversion and the historic Jewish attitudes towards conversion. First, the reasons. The most obvious reason for a man or woman to choose to become a Jew is for marriage. Most rabbis will not marry a couple unless both partners are Jewish. For the sake of the family and to bring Judaism into the marriage ceremony, that non-Jewish partner chooses of his or her own free will to become a Jew. Nobody should be forced to convert, not by a rabbi, not by a potential spouse, and certainly not by potential in-laws. Marriage was not always an accepted reason for a person to convert, but with the increasing acceptance of Jews in the larger world, and with the increasing acceptance of Jews by choice in the Jewish world, the number of people who ask to convert for the sake of marriage is increasing. The accepted urban legend is that a rabbi should turn away a potential convert three times to determine if he or she is sincere. While this is not always the case today, this legend embodies the historical Jewish skepticism about conversion and the sincerity of Jews by choice. The second reason is cultural. Being Jewish is, frankly, pretty cool today. Much of the stigma surrounding being Jewish has disappeared. While anti-Semitism is real and important to confront, many of the economic and social restrictions that faced Jews in the past are gone. These restrictions included admission quotas at many universities, Jewish doctors not being able to practice at certain hospitals, redlined neighborhoods where blacks and Jews were not allowed to live, and so on. These restrictions are gone. This is progress on many levels. Also, many people are coming to Judaism on their own, including singles of all ages, gender identifications, races, ethnicities, and sexual preferences. Many Jews by choice did not grow up in any faith tradition, even if they were born to nominally Catholic or Protestant parents. They may never have stepped foot in a church except for a wedding or funeral. Sundays may have been for family brunches or golf games. But they want something more, 
They want to be part of a faith tradition, and Christianity just does not cut it for them. And frankly, some non-Jews rebel against the faith in which they were raised. Well, I will never, never speak ill of another faith or those who sincerely practice it. I can understand why a person may not feel comfortable within it, just as I know Jews who leave Judaism because of their discomfort. These non-Jews may not want to be Christian anymore, but they still believe in God, and most important, find meaning in Judaism well before they ever seek out a rabbi. The willingness among Jews to accept converts is also relatively new. The traditional Jewish perspective towards converts and conversion has changed over the centuries, as we have noted. In biblical times, there was no such thing as conversion. One was born an Israelite, a Canaanite, an Egyptian, etc. That person might live amongst people of another group, but could never become part of that group. If you were born a leopard, so to speak, you can never choose to become a tiger. This brings us to Ruth who many raise up as the paradigmatic convert. A Moabitess, Ruth pledged her devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi, of the tribe of Judah, even though she pledged fealty to Naomi and married Boaz, Naomi's cousin and fellow member of the tribe. She never became a Jew. She always remained a Moabite woman who happened to marry a Jew. Interestingly enough, this Moabite woman becomes the ancestor of King David, and hence the ancestress of the Messiah. Times change, and centuries later, the Pharisees began to encourage conversion. By the start of the first century of the Common Era, nearly one-tenth of the entire Roman Empire was Jewish. Judaism appealed to women especially, as Halakha provided these women safeguards that Roman law did not. For example, Livia, the wife of the Emperor Augustus, was a Jew by choice. The Pharisees even established schools to train missionaries. How do we know this? From the book of Matthew, of all places. Matthew chapter 23 contains Jesus' famous diatribe against the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. You probably know this soliloquy. In verse 15, Jesus states, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross sea and land to make a single convert, and you make the new convert twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. While some suggest that this refers to Pharisees attempting to turn lazy Jews into better Jews, we might also take it at face value. The Pharisees actively sought converts near and far. As the Roman Empire became increasingly Christian, especially after Constantine became a Christian in 312 of the Common Era, the later emperors began to impose anti-Jewish edicts, including an end to proselytizing. Conversion to Judaism became a crime, a crime which endured until the 18th or even 19th century in parts of Christian Europe, as well as in Muslim lands. Jews themselves bought into this edict and began to actively discourage conversion. While there were always some who became Jews over the centuries, the numbers paled in comparison to the number of Jews who became Christians or even Muslim. 
This reluctance to welcome converts contrasts with statements the rabbis of the Talmud made concerning converts. For example, the Talmud states that it is a sin to call a convert a convert. Judaism claims that all those who will ever become Jews stood at Sinai to receive the Torah, including converts. Jews by choice have an equal claim to the covenant, and the worst sin that a Jew can do is to tell a convert that he or she has, quote, pork between his teeth, unquote. Jews are to welcome converts with open arms. Only recently, though, with the greater acceptance of Jews in Judaism in larger society, have Jews begun to follow this dictum and welcome Jews by choice as fellow Jews. Welcoming converts is of the highest priority today in many synagogues and especially amongst the more liberal streams of Judaism. After the break, we will talk about the actual process of conversion. It's a beautiful journey. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Park. Before we return to our discussion of conversion, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, or whatever service you are using. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not done so already. We have covered a lot of material so far, and I look forward to what is to come. So when a person decides to become a Jew, what are the steps? The first step is to find a sponsoring rabbi. The larger Jewish community will accept a person as a Jew by choice only if he or she completes a conversion program that an ordained rabbi from a recognized seminary designs and supervises through completion. Once a rabbi agrees to work with a conversion candidate, which is not always a given, the rabbi will require certain things. First, the conversion candidate must complete a process of study. Many rabbis offer an introduction to Judaism course, which presents the basics of Judaism to conversion and other interested students. There are also online courses that a rabbi might recommend, such as the upcoming course that I will sponsor soon. Online learning is becoming increasingly common, especially due to the prevalence of COVID-19 and when potential converts live in another city or state. National organizations also offer online courses which benefit students who live in small, isolated Jewish communities. The second requirement is to worship and observe Shabbat and the festivals. Not only does this introduce Jewish worship, but it also helps to introduce and welcome that potential Jew to the larger Jewish community. Community cannot be taught. It must be experienced. By joining with the community, the potential convert becomes a part of the community. Third, the potential Jews should experience the complete Jewish holiday cycle, no matter when the process begins. It is vital that this person fasts on Yom Kippur, joins in a Seder on Passover, lights candles on Shabbat and Hanukkah, and so on. Often, the rabbi finds the student a peer mentor to guide him or her through the process. That peer mentor is often 
a Jew by choice who has chosen Judaism several years previously and knows the process, the pitfalls, and the joys. Fourth, personal counseling is vital. The candidate can review his or her learning with the rabbi, reflect upon worship experiences, and work through any issues that he or she encounters in the process. Finally, once the rabbi deems the candidate ready, there is a formal conversion ritual. If the candidate is male, circumcision is required. If he had been circumcised at birth, a moil can take a drop of blood from the crown of the penis as a symbolic circumcision. If he was not circumcised, a urologist must circumcise him before the next step. Men and women alike must appear before a bet din, a rabbinical court. Three rabbis usually comprise the bet din, led by the sponsoring rabbi. In Orthodox and Hasidic circles, these would be three male Orthodox rabbis. In the more liberal traditions, male and female rabbis alike take part. If three rabbis are not available, at least in the reform movement, Jewishly literate adults can also be part of the Bet Din. The Bet Din's job is to ask questions and determine if a candidate is indeed ready to finish the process. The Bet Din's job is to ask questions and determine if a candidate is indeed ready to finish the process. These questions might include whether the person has renounced Jesus as the risen Messiah, if he or she promises to establish an exclusively Jewish home, if he or she promises to raise children exclusively as Jews, if he or she will support the larger Jewish community by joining a synagogue, and if he or she will support the state of Israel. If the answers satisfy the Bet Din, and by this time in the process they usually do, the members of the Bet Din sign the conversion documents and take the person to the mikvah. The mikvah is a ritual bath. It must be at least 40% rainwater, and its dimensions are also fixed. The Talmud details these specifics. They have not changed for centuries. For example, when Masada was excavated in the desert in Israel, south of the Dead Sea, Orthodox rabbis marched up the snake path, measured the mikvah found there, and declared it kosher according to contemporary halakha. That mikvah was built in the time of King Herod. The mikvah can also be an ocean, lake, river, or any flowing stream. Men and women alike must immerse in the mikvah. The person strips completely naked, removing all jewelry, makeup, piercings, nail polish, and the like. Then he or she immerses three times in the mikvah. His or her entire body must come in contact with the water. The witnesses, usually the bet din itself, stand outside the door to hear the person immerse and recite the proper blessings, including the Shema, the affirmation from Deuteronomy attesting to the one God. There is also a person of the same gender with the candidate, both to witness and to be there in case of emergency. Once the person fully immerses three times and says the proper blessings, he or she emerges from the mikvah as a Jew. This is a time of great celebration it is as if a new soul has entered the world. Often there is also a public declaration by the new Jew. Non-Jews may not lead public worship. After the mikvah, the rabbi may invite him or her to bless the Torah or lead a different prayer during Shabbat worship. 
this very act declares to the congregation that this person has accepted Judaism and is a full member of the community. And we all say, Mazel Tov. Before we conclude, I should mention the ritual for children. Children come to the mikvah often, when the entire family converts, or especially when parents adopt a child who is assumed not to have had a Jewish mother. Kids study Judaism according to their age and ability, usually in a religious school and a Jewish summer camp. If the kid is past the age of bar mitzvah, 13, he or she comes before the bet din and immerses in the mikvah of their own accord. Boys need either the symbolic or full circumcision. Younger children, including adopted infants, immerse in the mikvah with the help of a parent. However, minor children convert at the behest of their parents. The kids must also be naked, but the parent can wear a bathing suit if accompanying a small child. If a child can recite the blessings, he or she does so. If not, the parent recites the blessings on behalf of the child. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please remember to rate and review this and previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other streaming services. You can also like us on Facebook. Next week, we will discuss death and dying in the Jewish tradition. It's a difficult topic, but an important one to discuss. In addition to the rituals, we will also discuss some ethical concerns that surround death and dying, such as assisted suicide, organ donation, and cremation. I hope that you tune in. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together as one. Till we meet again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Thank you.